This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Hello and welcome to Disaster Girls, a podcast about disaster movies. I'm your host, Amanda Smith, and with me today we have the fabulous return guest, Alex Steed. Hello, Alex. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, so glad to have you back, especially because we get to revisit uh, the piranha world for this one and so I was like yeah. well, obviously we have to have Alex for this the dimension piranha verse <laughs> one of the maybe most this is important one that, yeah I mean maybe this is one that A24 will pick up for its new pursuit of intellectual property <laughs> yeah we should definitely get a piranha expanded universe I think like especially having now seen this I, I, I don't know about you but I'm coming in feeling there's a whole world we can unpack here for sure this movie thought that there was going to be more but uh it, 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 it was optimistic. It didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so as we were kind of discussing very briefly before we started, um, you'd been here for Piranha 3D. Did you recall anything going into this movie about the prior? Where, where'd you come at this movie? No, I, so my appearance prior is a little convoluted because it, these movies are so similarly named that I want we we had agreed initially I think to watch this movie and then when we came together it became evidence that I had watched the wrong movie so we covered Piranha yeah uh, it I, turns I, out that I very randomly had seen Piranha 3D in the past so there were elements of this that I remembered there are like by no means any um any like plot points or anything. I just like, I remember some of the gags maybe. Uh -huh. uh, it, but for the most part, I would suggest that this movie and the movie that came out beforehand have very little that stuck in my imagination. You know, it's, it, this is sort of like, I don't know. I It's the, it's the candy peanuts of, of movies. It's filling. It will mm -hmm. leave you not feeling hungry afterward, but is yep. it, it, are you going to remember that you ate a few hours later? No, no, this sure. is gone immediately. Yeah, yeah. And you might throw up. Entirely um, possible. <laughs> and then someone <laughs> might come along and jump in the pile of throw up for some reason. Which is something that happens in this movie. And be naked, which often and, happens in this movie. There's so much naked in this, this movie. This movie is the most lascivious this movie is the most like lascivious gaze but not an ounce of sexuality yeah and that's this we... movie like looks at boobs this movie has a piranha that i believe enters a woman's vagina mm -hmm. swims around in her Mm -hmm. um I, we we don't i don't think we see the entry necessarily no we never get a piranha like, eye view of a vulva that's true no no it, it goes through the canal um uh the and and uh then bites a man's penis uh he pulls out the piranhas on the penis he for some reason chops his penis off these this is one of the gags and all of this is happening in this movie is like it's like from the perspective of a four-year-old mm -hmm. it's like boobs like and i say that that word specifically because that is like the movie's attitude towards it but it doesn't have an ounce of like sexual drive <laughs> totally and that's the last movie was also i remember us talking about how we were like it feels like alexandra aja is 
essentially going, okay, I have to have a certain amount of nipples in here to satisfy the producers, but I'm not going to enjoy it. Um, right. That's like, there's very much that vibe. There are so many areolas in this movie. When, <laughs> so the premise is. There are. There's just right. so many. And it's just like a shocking number because it's not, again, like you said, it's not in the same way that almost like Fast and the Furious, whenever they show women's asses, you know, in those like scenes of the drag racing where you get the shots, the low angle shots of the asses. And it's supposed to be like, look at this booty, but it doesn't ever feel sexual. Say it feels obligatory. And that's very much what it feels like here. It all feels very obligatory. And that's with the premise that this is um, a water park that the stepdad of the main characters, the step, the stepdad now has taken over and he has added an adults only triple X section to the water park where mm-hmm. not only are, is it fully naked and the lifeguards are strippers, which I, you know what? Like I love that for them. Um, but in addition to that, there's also apparently a camera right at ladder level. So is that you the can beaver cam. I, can't remember beaver, I think it was the beaver cam. You're correct. <laughs> yeah. And so it's right. At, and just in case you weren't clear on what a beaver cam would be, it just fully shows like I, I in my notes just have that's a labia because um, it's just straight up. And there's nothing sexual about it, though. That's what's so crazy. No. It's not like these women are like sexily getting out of a pool. They're just climbing up a ladder. And then like it's very utilitarian vaginas. Yeah. I, I again, it's like it it doesn't read like the sex, even like the sexual fantasies of a yeah. 15 year old boy. It reads like. You know, in in um, you know, in Super Bad, where it becomes evident that uh, Jonah Hill's character just draws penises on everything, and he's like a like kind of like a prepubescent boy at that point in the movie, <laughs> yeah. and he just and then fi- someone finally sees it and gets in trouble. Like it feels like it was storyboarded by that character, like it's <laughs> someone who doesn't even who knows that these things are like theoretically interesting and they're compelled by them, but it does not know what to do with it and it's you know it's like they have all of these very um conventionally slash kind of porn conventionally attractive uh women who are playing these roles and and uh you know they're given they look great but are given really not a whole lot to do although um it's a lot of wasted flesh so to speak with regard to its lack of vision but we do have a tremendous scene this is where I think they think they leaned into it all working. Um, you see it all not work the entire time, but they have a tremendous scene where uh, Todd Packer from The Office, uh, who plays the stepdad, is is riding his is riding away on like a like like a gator or something like that, like a <laughs> like a like a ATV sort of thing, and inexplicably, his. <laughs> caution tape which you know about caution tape yeah. it's like it's like plastic tape severs his head and then he crashes into something and his head flies off of his body and a a, a lady with um substantially augmented breasts captures his head so that his severed head is essentially in like a motorboat position <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I think that's as, as, as inspired as we got with the nudity. Yeah. And that was, to me, one of those moments I was like, this movie, no. It, like, this movie, did, that's his death. That's the death that not only does he deserve, but I think that he would want. That is, yeah. for a pervert, that's like, 
that's like a Viking funeral. And I think, you know, it, it, I think I was charmed. I saw this movie right when it came mm-hmm. out, like it was on, it was on a, whatever, some streaming. Um, and I, I'm kind of charmed by it. Like yeah. I, I, I find it weirdly, uh, it's, again, it's gross. It has no vision. It has, it, it's just pandemonium. It's all these sort of like bodily gags. You have some, some uh, cameos and stuff that, that kind of work but i'm i'm charmed by again this movie was written by like the the id of a uh like a horny preteen absolutely (laughs) it's sort of it there's something about this movie and it's the same thing as with piranha 3d where like every vibe if someone said to me, or if, if, if you described this movie to someone and said, is this a movie Amanda's going to absolutely hate? Every single thing about it, yes, would suggest I would hate this movie. But there's an, a weird earnestness to both of them. And in particular, there's a sort of earnestness to this movie, which is ultimately about a girl trying to save her mom's water park. Like right. That's what it comes down to. This right. is a story about a girl with an evil stepdad trying to save her mom's water park. This is... And it's weirdly earnest and like there's a sweetness to it about that, Um, even as everything else about it is is as disgusting as water park water. Like (laughs) this movie is so gross and icky, but simultaneously has a heart that I actually am always like, that's really surprising. And I enjoyed final beat is killing a corrupt cop. Yeah, it's great. I I love it. A (laughs) corrupt like. There's the the the, the corrupt <laughs> cop subplot. Like, great, thank you. This is excellent. Like talking about small town corruption because he's on the cop is on the take to make sure he covers up the water parks illegal dumping or I I wasn't clear on what was happening. It involved more like it involved some sort of chlorine or something and dumping. It doesn't matter. The cop is on the it take. It was difficult to follow. I would it say does. That. It was very much like none of this is actually going to matter. Like, are you really here for a plot? No, you're here to watch well, a piranha bite a guy's dick. Like, let's. And, and I do think, like, I think that there might be. I know that I was, I was comparing and contrasting reviews, mm-hmm. and um, I, I do know that, you know, I think that there was disappointment with how this held up compared to the first. And, sure. I, and, and who directed the first again? So that was Alexander Aja. And this one was directed by John Gulager. Or Gulager. Yeah, who's, who's primary, uh, gotta, you got to do a little, you've seen him. We, we traded pictures yes. back and forth earlier. You got to do a Google of uh, this this uh, person. They were awarded this after winning Project Greenlight. Like they're, they're, bona fides where they were on a movie making reality tv show yeah i see that here but alexander Aja, like i think has like has actual horror yeah. bona fides right like, as, yeah, like he's, an actual he's a very he's a fairly accomplished at this point like horror and genre filmmaker yes and it, and i would say i felt that right you did you i do you again i can like kind of barely recall the first movie but i i did feel like it was made by someone who um like understood the challenge. Yeah. I, I think like I remember from I and I, I listened briefly to a little bit of our, our first episode on it. And in general, the kind of sense was that, yeah, he got the joke of it. He got he was mm-hmm. trying to make his he he basically was trying to like Trojan horse in a good movie 
in what should have been a shitty movie. Sure. And I think there's a little bit of that that hangs around still in this. Yeah. I do also think it's not done as competently. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they so, I, tried. Yeah. But... Which is, which is I, I only bring all that up because I want to say, like, I understand those complaints. And I think yeah. that those are right on and you can you can feel some of the flimsiness. But again, I really like the the whole sequence I described earlier where um Piranha yeah, I really want to talk woman. about the dick set yes, sequence. We need to absolutely really that. for sure. Like, and by the way, like the way that they so okay again, Piranha inside world. I can't remember why she's upset outside of just the horror of of a piranha, a general piranha attack. But she is not doing well. She's traumatized. She's yeah. in a room. The only way to make her right from the trauma, according to her. Yes. Is to be fucked by the guy whose relation, I don't know if it's just a random guy. I don't know what the deal is, but he seems surprised that this is on the table. Yeah. To not only be fucked, but to to specifically be asked is to uh, uh, be coming. Sorry to be crass. But that's, the, that's what she has asked for. So he goes for it. She's complaining and upset. Uh, because because she is occupied by her piranha, yeah. <laughs> it feels feels like her tummy aches. He uh, the piranha has latched onto his penis. He pulls. Sorry, I'm so describing this in so much detail again. No, this is how it must be though, because the scene is also not just graphic, but like there's a lot of moving parts in it that Here's, you have to well, take into is, account. This is why I respect it. I mean, it, it feels like a um, Rube Goldberg. Uh, situation like yes. someone had to someone had to outline and storyboard this so he come he gets out uh piranha is still attached he's looking down at it he's very upset fortunately he's by a block of knives he cuts off his penis cuts off the 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 probably top two three inches of his penis yeah. uh uh now his penis is in the piranha's mouth he's very upset she, you know, like in, we covered Romeo and Juliet recently, where like one of the big jokes of the movie Romeo and Juliet is, is Romeo does no due diligence to find out if she's alive or not. Like he doesn't like right. Jocelyn. She wakes up the second. She's already kind of waking up while he's taking his life. Yeah. So we kind of have that similar, similar thing. Is like after he makes the cut, she's finally coming to like, oh, I feel better now because the prawn is outside of her. She walks over to see what's up. We pass her the camera's on her feet we pass the piranha i think she kicks it and it coughs the penis out of the piranha's mouth mm -hmm. he uh it looks like he's angry at her for for this happening it, maybe he's going to stab her does not because we later see her and she explains her dilemma to her friends as something along the line. I can't even remember what she says, but she describes literally what just happened in a way that was hilarious comic relief. It's incredible. The whole sequence from start to finish is, I don't know that inspired is the right word, <laughs> but I it's also think it is, I, like, <laughs> it did have to come from a place of such specific inspiration. Um, yes. That, I'm not saying what it was in, like, I'm not saying it was good inspired, but it's definitely like this is maybe the most impactful sequence of the whole movie. I had accidentally watched it before when we were supposed to do the first Piranha. And this was the <laughs> only thing I remembered from this from it was guy gets his penis bitten by a Piranha after he has sex with a woman. Um, 
And to answer some of your questions of what you weren't sure of, just to, to Thank you. add shadowing to it, um, she wants to have sex because her good friend has just died in a right. sunken van accident related to sex, but also piranhas. In a sunken van accident. It's a sunken van accident. Like, it's also <laughs> a bondage situation gone awry. Yeah. Like, I... I, I am not a professional sexologist. I cannot dispense much good advice, but having seen this movie now, the best advice I can give is don't engage in bondage play inside of a vehicle without setting the parking brake. Yeah, that's right. That's it. That's right. Because what happens is the the sexy girl handcuffs the guy and then she loses the key and then somehow the parking brake gets unleashed and the van starts sinking into the water and then they get eaten by piranhas as far as i'm concerned you don't have to be a sexologist to have such great advice about um, it seems bondage in a van yeah i mean just in general like i feel if you're gonna handcuff someone to something make sure the thing isn't near a body of water that moves that's it's so funny like this is how sexless this movie is is we've said so much about sex and none of it has been sexy it's just like not even there's a there's a bondage accident in a van yeah and like (laughs) that whole sequence feels so much like an american pie straight to vhs sequence oh yes like everything she's like everything about it she's got the fuzzy handcuffs she's in the back of his van all of, and it's very it's so you know um girls gone wild coded it's just yes. there's no sexiness to it ultimately except for the fact that she is hot and wearing a bra that's it but yes yeah, so the friend with the piranha in her stomach she is sad because her friend has died um, and she has decided and also her tummy hurts and she has decided the only solution for that as women always do we all know this when your stomach hurts and when you're sad over a friend, the only thing that can solve it is losing your virginity, despite being an avowed religious person who's saving it till marriage. Got it. Got it. Got it. So got it. she needs to finally puncture that hymen to solve her problems. And she does. And then the piranha bites his penis. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I really appreciate. I mean, I, I appreciate any. And what is a slasher movie? And this is not mm-hmm. quite a slasher movie, but like, what is a slasher movie but attaching um, violent imagery to sexual anxiety? Like, totally. what, that's that's what it's all. That's what it's all about. That's what it's been about for a long time. This is probably the most on the nose scene of that that I've seen in a long time. But I yeah. appreciate the commitment to the uh, to the bit. Yeah, I think there's something really like the idea of piranhas as sort of the um, the sin eaters that we often get of like in horror that the 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 horror feature is the sin eater who's going after and the, that's why the virgin survives. The mm. idea of the piranhas as sin eaters is fascinating because it's so on the nose in this one because there's yes. it's nothing but sex and nothing but theoretically sinful people. But again, they're either likable or they're so sexless that it doesn't quite feel that way because it's like well i mean the guy didn't deserve to he was trying to heal her why did he get his penis eaten um i i i also you know couldn't help while i watched that man yell at the fish on his dick couldn't help but think of steady bad luckers uh the show that i have been to that you have hosted about you know these tragic stories of people that are just you know steady bad luckers and is there a more steady bad lucker than the guy who finally gets to have sex with his girlfriend who has been yeah. waiting till marriage and then he has to cut off his own penis because of a piranha that was in her vaginal canal it's really tremendous yeah. it's really it's really this is like doing a lot it it's is and it, lot. It, this is like this is the start of every urban legend in a tri-state area from this like 
How many people do you think in his life went on to tell their friends and friends of friends like, hey, did you hear? Hopefully everybody. Well, yeah. yeah. And then and then really you because have... they do live like they they do survive and they go into the both of them live. So he has to live his life being the guy whose dick was bitten by a piranha. They they it really is like a Sodom and Gomorrah. This movie is like a Sodom and Gomorrah scene, right? Because like you <laughs> yeah. have you have this this part that they're trying to keep up. The 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 one thing that I wrote down that I was like, oh, that's aspirational is this idea that we see like a news clip that's that's replaying the stuff that happened in the original movie, and it's essentially like this was a once vibrant town, and now it's not after all the bad things that happened. Where will it happen next? And I was like, isn't it adorable <laughs> to think that? some catastrophe some public health emergency happened and then everyone stayed away because they were doing the responsible thing you know i was like that's that's quaint that's a very 2012 idea oh my Um, gosh i mean yeah even without the idea like yeah you would have a really hard time keeping people out of the water but People would be just going for the, I would go for the sheer like, hey, yeah, I will go and watch stand on the shoreline while they lower a cow into the water. Yeah. That's sounds like a great <laughs> afternoon. Like that's entertainment. Well, what I do, we were st- we were really starting. And I guess we started to get there with a movie like Land of the Dead, which kind of had these elements. I think Land of the Dead was the one like we we start to have the people are using their smartphones to capture stuff like Mm -hmm. at the end of this movie that we see the bloodbath that's that's happening when when we realize that it's not entirely over and everyone's kind of rushing to record although one kid is recording with one of those flip cams which was like a very specific moment oh that was Um, 10 seconds in that was a very absolutely 10 seconds but like at the end we start to see people capturing with their cameras their phones um so we're starting to enter that part of our reality but yeah the, the whole scene where you have a fun park, a theme park, a fun park that is now just completely occupied by and dictated by the male gaze even more than normal. Um, uh, it's it, it's it is, you know, it is a, a God smiting the wicked. <laughs> Oh yeah, because <laughs> everybody, everybody uh, dies. Particularly all of the people who are profiting off of this, or the people who have been exploited to be a part of uh, that that sicko's vision. True, but you know who doesn't die? Who is Hoff? It? Hoff doesn't die. Yeah, which Hoff like... has a funny thing about a child that gets decapitated. <laughs> this is maybe. This is maybe the best use I've ever seen of a random celebrity cameo, just because not only does David Hasselhoff lean fully into the camp of it, but he's he is playing a version of himself, which is so fun and so weirdly deluded. And he like he thinks he he shows up because he's going to be the ultimate lifeguard. So they have him for the great opening. And he is a mix of playing the role of a lifeguard while also totally disinterested in doing any actual lifeguarding. There was a small child there who is also named David. And he's just like, by the end of it, he's like, that kid fucking sucks. I would watch an entire, I would watch David Hasselhoff show up in cameo roles for the Piranha movies for like 10 movies. Cause he just seems to be having the best time. My God. It's so good. Yeah. He's yeah. really great. And, and I think the reason why it worked, especially is I don't think I'd heard 
the Baywatch theme since I was a child. And so that they not only get to use him and it's David Hasselhoff who has been in Baywatch. We know that he's it's referenced in the movie. He's there specifically because he's David Hasselhoff from Baywatch because he's the world's most famous lifeguard. Then we get the song playing and I was like, it took me back first of all mm-hmm. to the fact that Baywatch was even a thing. And um, that song is really remarkably uh of a time and extremely cheesy but it really it made like the whole package work in a really great way yeah when when they start playing when they start playing it and he's doing the slow motion run to go save people and then he's like wait i don't actually have to do this it's fantastic and the the baywatch theme song continues to be the most like tonally wrong theme song It feels it feels like it's supposed to play over the end credits of a movie in the 80s about like an inspirational sports Ab- star. Absolutely, absolutely. It feels like it should play after like Kickboxer 2. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or like that could have been an alternative to uh Don't You Forget About Me at the end of um Oh yes, yeah, you're the totally Breakfast Club. Right. It's just like You're totally right. Nothing let about me, that. Let me can I do you mind if I just read a couple of lyrics Please. from, the, from oh, the song? Can you do spoken word poetry? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I think it's the only way to do it. Um, this is the this is the theme. These are lyrics from the theme to the TV show Baywatch. Uh, and the song is called I'm Always Here. It's always funny to think that the, these songs have names. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is I'm Always Here, the theme mm-hmm. to Baywatch. Some people stand in the darkness, afraid to step into the light. Some people need to help somebody when the edge of surrenders in sight. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. Because I'm always ready. I won't let you out of my sight. See, nothing about that suggests that I will be saved from drowning. I'm so sorry. They don't even make like an undertow pun. Like when no. some people, you know, stand in the darkness, some get pulled in the undertow. Like, come on, give me something. Darkness, they absolutely, light. They absolutely could. Yeah, there's yeah. no nautical themes. No. Uh, in this, unfortunately. It is it is as separate as possibly as possible from anything involving lifeguarding or heroism in that way. Um, it I mean for like for some sort of a, a suicide counselor, absolutely. That's a great yes. theme song for like the TV Definitely. show about the guy who talks people off of ledges. Definitely, or that that could be that could be the song that always plays when Robin Williams walks walks on the scene in Good Will Hunting. Yes, yes. See, this that's, is that's his, that's that's his, his personal theme. theme. I. <laughs> But yeah, it's just it is completely disconnected. And he's like, it's not your fault. And it's then he not your fault. Yeah, it's great. And meanwhile, David Hasselhoff could David Hasselhoff have counseled Goodwill Hunting? Probably. Probably. I mean, probably. This, this version of him for sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I really like, and it's funny because I know that you cover all sorts of these movies, mm-hmm. and and you cover all sorts of, particularly the ones that are like produced by a cable like a formerly reputable cable network that is now producing this like sort of movie like content and am i wrong like i don't know when sharknado came out but this feels like a bridge these movies feel like a bridge to when when sort of like hollywood was trying to do this yeah uh and then like this was like the last gasps and then like sci-fi was like we can do this shit yeah, they're kind of concurrent. Um, I'm double checking when Sharknado came out, just because. So Sharknado's 2013. Piranha 3 oh, Double D is 2012. Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of overlap, and like, granted, sci-fi had been doing 
I always kind of mark Sharknado as the sort of dividing line of when sci-fi stopped giving a shit about trying to make the movie uh how do I want to put this operate under its own premise without like winking sure once Sharknado happens it's like at that point everyone's aware of how ridiculous it is and you're gonna get Ian Ziering coming out of a shark with a uh, chainsaw. Prior to that, there was an attempt at like still making movies that people would find not just entertaining, but compelling. Um, Even if they were bad, still trying to be like dramatic and serious. And there was a shift over to, no, we know this is bullshit. So we're all going to laugh at it. Um, And this kind of falls right in there, but I think there's also, and this is something I can't as much speak to because I don't do the slasher thing. I suspect this probably falls into a sort of slasher sex comedy realm that already existed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it feels like it's, I don't know that that even, I mean, you, again, you can speak to this more than I can, but I don't even know that that really like this movie, this movie was made for like $7 million and it feels like this was the last time that that yeah, was I... a, that, like that a studio is going to put that much money behind it without a distribution plan outside of just like, we're going to put it in theaters and hope people show up because there's, there's again, like our focus is, is like yeah. soft porn. I, it's um, interesting. Cause like, it doesn't feel like a movie that costs $7 million in 2012. No, where was I? That's all I could think was where, where did it go? Right? I'm so confused. Like, I didn't even realize it was seven because until I just looked at the Wikipedia and saw that it only made eight million and it was seven million dollar budget. I'm like, how? I mean, even the I mean, the fish aren't going to cost that much money. They're pretty rubbery. Yeah. And it's not as if like, I mean, maybe it was the Hoff. Maybe it was Ving Rhames. I mean, Ving Rhames goes uncredited. So he was not going to be getting like top billing on that he so i was uncredited he did it made an uncredited appearance what how does that work did he get in and he was like nah i don't maybe don't put my name was it an alan smithy situation or were they just like we're not gonna his contract worked out in a way where they they i don't know it's really huh. miss I, I i think maybe he was just like i'll do you all solid and show up again make a repeat appearance give me a hundred thousand dollars for half a day of work and i'm good yeah fascinating Fascinating. Yeah, and he and he, I he, there is a great line. There's a great Ving Rhames line in this movie, um, where I can't remember what the actual ask is, but Ving Rhames has lost his legs in the prior movie. He has titanium legs now. Yes, which because makes it he possible, was eaten by piranhas from the knees down. Right, which now makes it possible for him to get into the water because they can't chew on titanium. Yeah, and there's a gun attached to his leg, a la, which is I feel like a a pull from um that Tarantino one of the I don't oh. know if it was Tarantino or like Rodriguez it was Rodriguez Pass. yeah yeah which is like a there's that Rose McGowan character that has like essentially a gun for like so we have the guy that does the thing and then later on in the movie I can't again I can't remember what the ask is but someone asks him how he's able to afford something and he said with all the money I saved on socks and I thought <laughs> that was fantastic that's pretty great, actually. It's like one of the only jokes in the whole movie that works. Yeah. Well, because it's one of the only jokes in the movie that isn't just basically related to boobs. Right. It's right, like right, actually right. legitimately funny. I was like, oh, God, a joke. That's handy. Yeah. They should have done some more of that, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing that's so weird. Like, 
his whole dynamic with Paul Shear, who is his deputy, yeah. who now he has taken uh, Ving Rhames' character is, and listen, this is actually weirdly in terms of timing, um, the second movie in two days that I've talked about where a character has prosthesis, uh, because I just talked about Skyscraper with uh, Matt Kolsky. And mm. the premise of Skyscraper, if you haven't ever seen it, is that um, The Rock plays a guy who has a prosthetic leg. I mean, that's not the premise, but that's what The Rock's character That's the premiere, like, it's going to be a quiet movie in which The Rock deals with this. It's <laughs> actually, like, the closest we've ever gotten to an emotional performance from The Rock oh, in a wow, big blockbuster. Yeah, Matt wasn't as hot in it as I was. It was a really weird movie. Um, but the prosthetic leg in particular is is just a... It's it's a, a lot of strange choices are made with it. Um, I think Ving Rhames' character's leg situation, in terms of talking about the kind of works better which is an insane <laughs> thing to say um but yeah like so paul Shear has brought him as his deputy has brought ving rames to the water park because he needs to get over his fear of water that he has developed since you know fear of the piranhas and at one point paul Shear just decides to straight up dump him into the water yep and not I, a great not a great approach not a great approach i mean he just fully tips he fully just tips him in and I have a lot of questions about if that was scripted or if Ving Rhames knew that was coming. That's a great, I, I can nearly guarantee, nearly guarantee that um, it was scripted because I don't know much about Paul Shear. He seems like a lovely, yeah. lovely person as Ven has done a lot for us on the podcast. A lot of us can do what we do because Paul and the gang sure. do what they do. And and for, certainly they must have launched from the fact that Paul was in movies like this. Um, I, from everything I know about him, which isn't much, he doesn't seem like the man, he doesn't seem like a man who has the fortitude to pull a fast one on Ving Rhames. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he doesn't seem like... Yeah, no, I'm following a guy, exactly a guy what you're saying. A guy who played one of the most iconic terrifying villains of the 1990s yeah fair he doesn't seem like a guy paul Shear doesn't seem like a guy who's like let's chance it and throw ving in the water that's you know what that's an incredibly accurate read because i was thinking of it from like the improv standpoint but you're right personality wise he's not gonna take that take that risk on that one to piss off his scene partner there because it yeah. is you i don't like you just don't want there's certain people you just don't want to ever have them turn their mad face on you no and, and he, this is a person absolutely yeah. i don't want that mad face turned on me yeah um, but it's it uh, is <laughs> it, it is a it, ving rames's appearance in this might be the maybe the highlight for me of the movie other than the the dick eating sequence which is just so ambitious but ving rames and when he shows up and then he starts shooting piranhas out of his leg gun is i think like that's the movie i wanted you know that's not necessarily but like that's the tone of the movie i want yeah i i, I feel I like it would have been totally i think it would have been again like it is the move the first 50 like five zero minutes yeah. of this very short movie are just for the most part like carnal jokes and i think that if we had leaned into a bit more of the dynamic with some of these characters, like, cause you know, the issue, the issue is what, like the issue is that they have, um, 
fuck, I really wish I could remember Todd Packer's actual name, who I keep calling him Todd Packer. But, um, uh, the guy um, from Anchorman. It's David, David Keckner. David Keckner, right? Mm-hmm. Seemingly a wonderful, again, another person who, as I understand it, wonderful He's a, Everything I've heard about him is lovely. I've met his, I used to do stand-up with his wife. She was trying to do stand-up for a little while. And right like, on. they, he just is like a nice support, was it at the time, seemed like just a really nice supportive husband who was just like stoked his wife was trying this new hobby. Totally. And that's the impression that I, from anyone I know, sort of in, in his sphere, that's the impression yeah. I've gotten. But we have him, we have the guy who plays the near-do-well son and the leftovers. Like, that's it. That's all that we have for a through line in this movie. And then everyone else is clearly, we have them for th- for one to three days. Let's make it work. You forgot have- about Danielle Panabaker because she's the most forgettable in this movie, but she is technically the through line of through lines. Oh, yeah, of course. And we but have, she's we, uh, not yeah. Really, the, yeah. No, in everyone who's an actual, um, everyone who's like an actual protagonist is doing their own thing separately, which mm-hmm. makes it very difficult to actually follow what anyone's actually doing. And yeah. then you have, and then you have all of these like one day players like Busey at the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie. You have uh, Christopher Lloyd, who they couldn't have had for more than four hours, as yeah. far as what you get on screen. You have all these people, and so. It it feels like they like built it around the cameos, but didn't really know what to do with any of those people. Whereas, like I think if they had maybe saved one of those millions that that apparently they found a way to spend and like put it into uh, some official Ving Rhames is actually listed as a character in the movie and Paul Shearer action. Yeah, it would work. It'd be nice. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I suspect as I think about it, that at least one million went directly to cocaine. Um, having just like in retrospect thinking about that man's jacket that he wore on the red carpet the full sequin jacket this movie was directed by a 55 year old man yeah (laughs) and it feels like it feels like it (laughs) (laughs) it feels like it It has the ogling energy of a 55 year old man yeah and also Um, like the disconnect from youth that i think is also part of why this feels like nothing about this feels like young characters who are real you know we get yeah. Maddie's very clearly like in her 20s, she's young 20 in her young 20s. All of her friends are in their young 20s. And there's a sort of half-assed will they won't they thing going on with her and the dweeby dude. Um you know, it's like a semi-love triangle between her, the dweeby dude and then the corrupt cop that we, you know, she doesn't know is a corrupt cop. And everything about the dynamics of how they all it doesn't feel like someone who's ever interacted with someone under the age of 35 no. so yeah no, 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 no. you can tell this has been directed by Although a middle-aged do, dude and you can tell it's been directed by a middle-aged dude because we get again another another tremendous line incredible line it's good in, in the history of all the best lines ever uttered <laughs> in the movie which is come to the co- sorry i'm gonna do it again come to the hottest hole in town um, that's how they, that's how they promote this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> come to the hottest hole in town. And that could only come from that guy. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I would really like, I would suggest this movie. I mean, I think that there is something, it's not even just a, like, it's so bad. It's good category. It's like some of the swings that they take, you're like, all right. Um, it's fascinating to imagine what the time on the set was like. I imagine it wasn't fun for many, for many people. No. Um, but I think like, I don't, I don't know. There's like a lot, it's really hard to nail down, but there's like a lot of 
all of the nuggets put together, I certainly, and again, like what else are you doing with 80 minutes? Like, I feel like it doesn't, um, it doesn't drag, you know, you're going to get through it and you're going to have experience and experience. You're going to feel a little sticky. Um, You will have seen a lot of nudity and felt nothing about it. And it's a great time. I kind of feel like that's, everyone loves it, but that was my, that you basically just described my experience of going to Jumbo's clown room. <laughs> my experience is um, uh, leaving with un- w- way less money than I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I've only been once. And when I was there, I was like, this isn't All sexy, right. but I understand no. it. Yeah. And I'm totally. seeing a lot of breasts, but I get it, but it's not sexy. This but isn't sexy, but I'm seeing a lot. Yeah, that's, that's a like, lot that was- of... That's a lot of, um, and with no disrespect to the, no. the fine folks. Uh, this was but, not at all about like a judgment of any. No, of I course. was on like no, a Tuesday. Some... I also was on like a weeknight that night. Oh, so I that's was... my favorite time to go to a uh, to go to a, a spot that has those offerings. Yeah, specifically because the vibe is especially strange on a random weeknight. Mm-hmm. There's. <laughs> There are certain rules I have now in life about like where you go places on what days and oh for sure yeah like never go to a vet after seven p.m. nothing wow. good happens at a vet right. after seven p.m. particularly yeah. weekends don't go They're to on a weekend pantyhose out of intestines at that, at that yeah time. like it's just nothing but people crying it's really upsetting yeah. don't go to a supermarket particularly the supermarket in West Hollywood on a Friday evening only because it is bleak as hell yeah. Third rule, don't go to a strip club on a weeknight unless you want to see what people who choose to go to strip clubs on a weeknight look like. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. You want, you're going to get a you're going to get a vibe for sure. You're gonna get uh, a and, vibe. Then my, and then my thing that ends up getting getting a person like me uh, to a strip club on uh-huh. a weeknight is uh, I don't like going anywhere when there's going to be other people. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> like people like I have. I am beyond brunch. Like I mm-hmm. like we've we've gone we've gone to brunch before, but it was great because it was a weekday. Yeah. And it was like nothing else was, it was like a weekday at like either like eleven or three, some like inconvenient time. I love going to things when I know other people could not be dragged there at that time. Oh yeah. No world in which I would do a, a weekend brunch. I like it was I think you and I, it was technically breakfast, but it was late breakfast for you. And it was for me, this is what time breakfast normally happens at. But for normal people, it would be (laughs) brunch. I think it was probably like a 9.30, 10 a.m. I'm a crack of donner. Yeah, you're a morning. I, I, (laughs) there's never been a morning that I've seen that I've been excited about. Um, I understand that. That's fair. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, no, a weekend brunch is genuine. I don't want to be around anybody who wants to be at a weekend brunch. Like none of that. No. The um, other thing that gets, I know that we're not talking about doesn't, brunch and doesn't eating, matter. Eating standards, but the other thing that gets me is when, when, you know, someone's like, Hey, do you want to go into X? You want to, I had a friend just recently asked, do you want to go and get this specific kind of dinner? Yeah. And then they're like, cool, I'm going to invite like five other people. And, and it's not that I, it's not necessarily that I don't like new people, although I am a little awkward around new people sometimes. But then we got to navigate the entire fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Seating, seating more than four people seems to be trouble for most restaurants. Yeah. Like then you got to navigate the bill, like the whole thing. The, once the bill aspect comes yeah. into play, like there's there's too many people to do long division on tax. Like because then you got to figure out who owes what from tax, or should we all split it? All? No, that's too many people to eat with in general. Yeah. That's I will I will easily like if I had. 
if I had a whatever, if I had like a four dollar, I know that this doesn't exist, but if I had a four dollar appetizer and someone with me had like a hundred dollars in food, I'm just like, let's split it 50-50. I don't give a fuck. I don't want to deal with this bullshit. Like, I don't want to like get anxious about who's supposed to do what. Mm-hmm. That's how weird and anxious I am about every situation is I will unnecessarily spend an additional $40 for food I didn't have because <laughs> I don't want to do the math with a stranger. <laughs> I, I think that's reasonable, especially in a large group you're in. Because that you know what ends up happening is that someone shorts tip. And oh. so, yeah, you might as well just everyone go split it evenly so that no one ends up shorting tip. No. That's inevitably no. like I'm thinking back to all my high school, you know, after school dinners at Jerry's Deli down on on Ventura, <laughs> like there we never came up with the right amount. Didn't no, matter how much math we did. We and never the, had and the I, right amount. No, and I, I like you know, in LA in particular, people think I mean it is huge. It's like geographic you know, yeah. you, you're from here. It's geographically huge, but usually like your circles and neighborhoods it's a small town so you're gonna see that person who you shorted again um and I don't want to be by even if I didn't do it and someone else did it I don't want someone in my group my association I don't want to be known when I bump into that the server again that someone from my team gave six dollars when they should have given ten (laughs) dollars yeah you don't want to be tainted with that no Is it neurosis or are you just, is it, is it, you know, an obligation and a knowledge of how hard <laughs> the service industry works? I have ways that I like to be. Um, okay, no, fair. I worked, you know, I worked, I, I served and yeah. I worked in, in uh, retail forever and ever and ever. I still sometimes for, for both fun and necessity will, um, will wait tables or, or do like food service related stuff. And so I'm, you know, as I think everyone should be required to do, unless they have a really good reason not to. Oh, yeah. They're strong, strong belief that instead of like a mandatory two years in a service, everyone should have like two years mandatory. Um, And specifically, like you should have an exemption only if you are somebody who otherwise has worked those kinds of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. If you waited tables going through high school, you're free. You're done. But and also, I think there should be a, a mandatory second time when you hit fifty. <laughs> oh, for sure. To remind, yeah, like yes, absolutely. fifty. You're, at fifty, you should be given two weeks off by the government, where you have to go and work in a service industry job. And just remember, yeah, just yeah, be reminded I think, of it. I think it's important. And if you are one of those people um, who is listening and thinking, but what about? Here's a very specific reason why that shouldn't apply to me. Uh, I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you. Uh, And not everything's about you, person who makes everything about them. (laughs) Oh, I'm specifically talking about you. Just to clarify. I when there's a specific exception that has been completely manifest and made up. uh, No, I'm specifically. (laughs) No, that imaginary person. I specifically mean them. I want specifically that person. You heard it. It might be about you. It might not be about you, but be really nervous about it and keep making everything that's not actually about you about you, please. Yeah. And and know that we're quietly judging you for it. (laughs) You know, it's, but yeah, it's, uh, I guess we could keep talking about the movie, but you know, um, like, it's so funny because normally there's at least like one character, one part of a movie. We're like, well, you know, we got to, that's the thing I, that we spend all the time talking about. But mostly you and I have talked about the general sexness of the movie. Yeah, it's so there's, there's like 
It's all bits. Yeah. I mean, again, there's this whole subplot about like Maddie, the the girl, the main character, and the dude. I don't even remember his name. Is it Buddy? It doesn't matter. It truly doesn't. Um, Who doesn't know how to swim? And that's like Barry. His name is Barry. 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 And he sucks. Barry Barry aggressively sucks. And there's the same thing as I went back and looked again, listened again to the to the original Piranha episode. It's the same thing over again of there's this sort of like the loser who gets the girl at the end, even though she wasn't interested in him previously. Wasn't interested, thought he was gay. Yeah. Is so not on her radar that she doesn't know anything about him. When she says when he admits that he loves her and she says, I thought you were gay. That to me was the ending of that story and I loved it. And then they end up kissing and I was like, well, that's got to be trauma bond. They're going to break up in six weeks. It's fine. Yeah, definitely. Because it's it's fine. Like you can find anybody. This Barry is not worth your time. Yeah, there's there's like one there's one other thing that happens that's not even again. I'm saying this like it's a thing, but it's 45 seconds. Yeah, is we have a guy who I think is like the park tech. I don't exactly know what the guy. Oh, his whole day. Yeah, the stoner subplot. There's a center supply. I don't even, I don't know what the arc is or whatever, but I'm pretty sure he enjoys either standing in the pool and having like the vacuum thing um, uh, uh, affect him sexually in one way. I don't know if it's front or back. He has sex with the pool. He has sex with the pool, but at some point, I think he's having an aim at his ass and then a, a piranha goes into his ass. So we see him get out and he's the one who stomps and puke earlier. And he has a piranha sticking out of his ass. And then later he delivers the line, nobody munches on Dave's ass, bitch, which inspired. But that's like the biggest arc we have. (laughs) Yeah, Dave, Dave, Dave saves the day ultimately because he pours all the chlorine in the pool and he, you know, he, he lights it on fire Dave has heroic moments in this. He lights the water on fire, yes. Yeah, he has heroic <laughs> moments. Um the everything involving Dave with relation to that pool is upsetting. Like yeah. watching he, him stand there on the side and then look and be like, you should try this. You should get in on it. I'm like, I know ex- I don't I don't like any of this very I don't much. Think so. There was a kid here, remember the kid who mm-hmm. put there is a kid, a kid kid. Put their yeah. ass up against the the thing. So if you're in a pool, you know that sometimes there's just like a little hole that just like is like blowing water out or air. I don't exactly know what it's doing. And what is happening behind it is there's a wheel that's almost like a um that's almost like a hydro sort of like hydro dam uh hydroelectric generator. So it's like a wheel that's like a, it's turning and it's like pushing water or air out. And this kid found it stimulating to put their ass up against the uh the hole and for some reason that wa- that that wheel that usually pushes out as a result of sort of the flow being switched around turns the other direction and caused the suction and pulled intestines out of this kid's ass and i think that uh, for a while i thought that that was not real but i'm pretty positive that actually happened. yeah i i they could have done something with that that I was actually, a, I was a little bit worried or did think of that. I, you know, I, because I, I have heard about, yeah, vacuum seals like that will fully do that. So yeah, you don't want that. I, no, definitely. You, one does not want to lose their intestines <laughs> through their ass. Just seems like the, one of the worst ways to lose your intestines. 
like on I the really, list. Of- <laughs> I feel bad because I know that you have like actual real conversations about these movies on this show. And I know this is the best movie, conversation. I think this movie didn't necessarily give us a, a ton to. I don't care. No, this is an entire digression where you read the lyrics to the Baywatch theme song. Okay, Alex, yeah, that glad. is that I'm is glad. why I asked you back. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. I just apologize for the dog in the background. Oh, yeah, gosh. that's what we're here for is for this kind of madness. Um, <laughs> I did definitely like when I asked if you wanted to do it, there's a part of me that was like, oh god i can't believe i'm asking alex to go do another piranha like the esteemed alex steed and i'm bringing in piranha three double d but no this oh is my god. this is what well, the three double d conversation must be about i do want to say this because i mm-hmm. feel like it was important sometimes i said a thing on a show and i'm like i'm sure it wasn't an urban legend and i look it up after yeah. not during and i find out it was absolutely an urban legend and here's a Here's an article published February of this year from I F and Love Science. I don't know if that's reputable, but sometimes they F and Love people... Science. So I yes. assume they would be. That's a strong stance to take if you're not reputable. Totally. This is this is from their health and uh, medicine segment of the website. And the the line, the subject line is we regret to inform you that the pool drain slash intestines thing is not an urban legend. And then the subheading is it actually happened a lot. <laughs> so so at some point you may have come across an odd and frankly horrifying urban legend which states that if you get your butt caught over a pool drain your intestines can be uh for genuine want of a better way of putting this sucked out of your anus and then it turns out that it's uh that happened pretty regularly apparently it, it happened in a final destination movie which i didn't realize oh i i, I that is that feels very much like a thing that Final Destination can or should cover. Yes. It's it's called I'm so sorry. I'm so I'm I will stop after this. Please no keep but going. Hit, hit me with it's, it. it I, this happened to a kid and it's called transanal evisceration. That is literally the series of things that happen. Yeah, you are eviscerated yeah. through your Trans-anally. anus. Transanal. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they lost they lost 110 centimeters of a small intestine. So yeah, you don't 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 be Dave. Don't don't no. don't screw around with vacuums in your orifices. If for no other reason than you don't want to end up with a piranha, a transanal piranha. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, for for a movie that opens with a cow farting, a dead cow farting. Yeah. I didn't anticipate so much of this podcast episode would involve transanal evisceration. <laughs> sure. Well, it's like that. It kind of opens similarly to that scene in, in uh, Babylon. I think I was the only sicko who loved Babylon. But it's like Babylon opens with a character pushing an elephant up a hill and then the elephant shits on them. Uh-huh. And it creates this fabulous moment of symbolism about what it's like to try to make in the entertainment industry. It's pushing <laughs> an elephant uphill and then it shits all over you. Like that's sure. what it's trying to do. Um, and so there are echoes of Babylon and Verona 3. Although I, what what is it? What is this setup like? It's like the piranha have planted eggs. Yeah, in a the piranha cow. laid egg inside of the cow, and then the cow gets blown up, and it releases all of the piranhas. It's great. Yes, it's great stuff. I I don't totally understand how the piranhas laid eggs inside of the cow to begin with. Um, I don't 
totally understand how the piranhas get there from the lake. I don't care. I just wanted to watch Gary Busey get blown up by a dead cow. That was great. That was good for me. I do. I think my only, truly my only complaint outside of anything else. (laughs) But truly my only, is this movie is, we've talked about it just essentially being the male games times the Mm -hmm. It's one of the most aggressively heterosexual horror movies I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And that's saying a lot. Like that is saying an incredible, there is not again outside of the winking about having b or c movie actors as um as doing cameos there's no camp there's no uh there like being big and extravagant and gaudy isn't necessarily camp you know and like Mm -hmm. this is kind of like what this movie does there's no it is it is straight as hell and that's like one of the things that it has primarily working against it like there's not even a subtext that you can find in it although uh, i can't quite t- i mean obviously you can't you can't tell just by looking at somebody what their whole deal is but i can't quite tell what our director's deal is just by looking at him um he looks he looks like he could be in bruce valanche territory but i'm not quite sure he's got a real chaotic energy to him in that one photo that we see <laughs> and that could be again because he is wearing a sequin jacket while holding a piranha prop standing in front of a step and repeat that is sponsored by Playboy and Fat Burger. <laughs> so I feel like that really captures the duality of him as well. Yeah. When you look at him, is like he could be brought to you by Playboy. He could be brought or to you by Fat Burger. Yeah, for he sure. He's wandered in off the street as a, as a fancy man. We don't know. There is a there's a true mystery to this guy, um, whose credits, as I have since checked. Before this are the movie Feast, which I assume was like his Project Greenlight movie. And then I think so, yeah. two sequels to Feast. Okay, um, great. Didn't know that there were any sequels to Feast. And then um, let's see. Do we get anything after that? Zombie Night and Children of the Corn Runaway in 2018. And he is a and he's the child of two like hall nuts i wouldn't say stars but to people who worked in the industry for a long time yes um, his mother was apparently a uh a horror star herself because she was in leather Leatherface, the texas chainsaw massacre three she sure was she absolutely who could was. forget that star who could forget, who could and forget. he was he had the lead part in the return of the living dead the dad and uh nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge Oh, in fortunately, yeah, he was in making up for the straightness of this movie. He was in the gayest nightmare in Elm Street, and good for him. <laughs> Is good the second one a a queer masterpiece? Do you know about the second one? The second one's tremendous. It's been coming up a lot for us. The second mm-hmm. one um, has, uh, yeah. So that so Nightmare on Elm Street one was Nightmare on Elm Street one, and then Nightmare on Elm Street uh, two. Excuse me, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is essentially a direct sequel to Nightmare on Elm Street 1. Okay. And Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I still, as a as a fan of these things, like still don't fundamentally understand what happened, but its entire script undertone, undertone is being generous, is about like a closeted gay kid um, 
not in the text, but certainly underneath, there's about, a, there's about this closet, closeted kid who was played by an actual closeted kid named Mark Patton. And um, there's a tremendous, I think Mark was closeted at the time, but I think like the, the movie, which essentially became kind of a punchline based on how he played the kid, how the script works, et cetera. Uh, I, as I understand, it was very difficult for Mark. And Interesting. Okay. there's a tremendous documentary called Scream, Queen about um, the making of the movie, about Mark after the fact, and then about him eventually coming to really embrace the love for the movie. Because as you know, when we were kids, and this was a bit before your time, but like when we were kids, um, because there was no overt queer representation, yeah. you had to read between the lines in order to find your characters. And for many, many people, Mark Patton was there was an icon for them, and he had no idea. That's fascinating. So he he found that later on in his life, and it's 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 tremendous. And there's like really incredibly homoerotic scenes between Freddie and Mark, between between um uh uh some some of the other characters, like a like a gym teacher and a father. Like there's all of this really incredible stuff that's happening. Um, it's well worth your time. Okay, I mean, I am I'm a deep coward when it comes to horror, but I might make an don't, exception just don't for worry. The... There's no scary stuff. Okay, because I I watched like no joke maybe 15 20 minutes of Nightmare on Elm Street when I was in college, like on a Halloween. We I went to you know went with a friend to another friend's apartment, and they were gonna all watch it, and we're all standing around, and I watched like no joke 10 15 minutes and went traumatized me. I gotta go, guys. And yeah, I, like, that's fair. Walked back home, going, I am a fucking coward but you know what this was the right choice like nightmare i'm already street, freaked out nightmare on elm street is chilling i i still find it to be tonally um yeah. terrifying no the concept of if you sleep you get killed is terrifying absolutely you get killed by somebody who weaponizes your anxieties mm-hmm. against you in your in your i'm like i already lived that life i don't need you to do that Freddie. this is why i don't do horror because i'm like that's my life Somebody my who issue, weaponizes yeah. your anxieties against you, that's my brain. I have my that. issue. This is like why I should not smoke as much weed, is that <laughs> I'm like, I know how much I know how much ammo is in my my brain that I don't need stirred up and fired up. Mm-hmm. Uh and then I smoke and I'm like, I'm like, is Freddie real? Like, is there <laughs> was that inspired by something that really happened? It's I don't need to do that. I'm so glad that's not the response I have to marijuana because <laughs> the last thing i need is more paranoia and fear that's so i love that i mean i can't i know people who it's like they have to you know they have to partake a little to function and that that it it works as a as an equalizing or like a a whatever it it, it has different impacts for everybody and some people they need it as a essentially not a performance enhancing drug that makes it sound lurid or whatever no but but, yeah me it's like don't make any plans. Like you are <laughs> donezo because you're spiraling in anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I know a few high-functioning stoners. I find it fascinating as a concept that someone can be. Um, but also, you know, it, it, it does not give me the the overwhelming anxiety that, say, functioning in the world does. <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's hard enough, all things considered. Yeah, like it, it mostly helps. It's uh, we can talk about how marijuana affects me later. Um, anyway, I guess let's let's move on to and 
there doesn't have to be. I really go back and forth on if there is. But do you think there's a what this movie was really about? Do you think that no. there's a subtext to this? No. No. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think it's it's a, I mean, what are some things that happen that are not just plotty? You know, yeah. um, you have a, not surprising, you have a, a small business person who has like a lot of people's health at their hands based on how they actually run their business and by the way i know people who who own or manage water parks oh really and and i've seen them in action and like you do things like you test the water like six times an hour like by hand in different it's like an extremely the diligence that's required to run it well is wild and and to watch this guy who has none of that in control is just doing it to say keep the park open in his wife's memory but really is just trying to make a bunch of money sort of be a horny guy around a bunch of women that all very true to life is there a cop who's on the take who was offered a promise by like a negative sort of like a bad businessman uh who's doing all the wrong things um who while everyone is looking is trying to appear as though he's a hero but he's not really and then fortunately takes a try it in the face yes there's like there's Things that we would recognize in our life, um, but the movie doesn't have anything grand to say about that. <laughs> I think that's true. I do also think, like as you said about the the amount of diligence required um, to operate a theme a, a water park, I think it's safe to say that man is not going to be testing the water six times a day. No, and that no. this is not going to be a well run water park. But we have seen many times in life water parks. Where you go, I'm not going in that. Like, yeah, the idea that that is true to life, too. Yeah, there, nothing is more real to me in this movie than the idea that this is probably where like hepatitis F comes from. I, I, I lived in in, uh, Tennessee for a while and I used to visit Tennessee quite a bit before. And uh, Tennessee has some really tremendous in scale indoor water parks because mm-hmm. you just can't even be alive for most of the year in Tennessee without without, <laughs> without boiling you know and so they sure. have indoor water parks and like some of them are really lovely and some of them you go in and it feels like it's run by this guy and <laughs> you're like I don't know we probably shouldn't go into that <laughs> yeah you I... drive across the state for three hours and you're like well I'm not going to turn around so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I drove this far. I might as well get the hepatitis you can get here. Like, I'm going to get my hepatitis punch cards. I might as well. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's all, again, because, like, it doesn't commit to an arc. Yeah. There's no plot arc. It's not like we should have listened to the scientists, but we did. There's all these little pieces where those things happen. But Mm -hmm. every, this movie isn't one arc. It's not two arcs. It's like. 23 minute arc 20 yeah three minute arcs and (laughs) so it's very difficult to identify even what it could accidentally be about let alone what it was it was uh addressing in sort of like a bigger subtextual way I think that's fair um I personally like going back I I I was trying to think of what I would say this movie is really about and then I was like ah the patriarchy and then I went that's what it made me go back and listen and then I was like I had the same exact instinct on that movie as I have on this one, which is <laughs> this is about to me how the patriarchy is so corrosive that it will destroy even its strongest champions. Yeah, that's great. No one is safe in the patriarchy. This is a movie about a dude who goes to set up 
the horniest water park possible. And then the piranhas come to eat him, but they don't just eat him. They or they don't just eat the women. They eat the guys. They eat a dude's dick when he gets to have sex. Everything about it to me suggests that these are all the corrosive ways that the patriarchy still comes back to basically destroy everyone that it touches. Um, But that was also the theme I took from the first Piranha. So I wonder if that's the overarching theme of these movies or if that's just me desperately grasping for some sort of reason and logic (laughs) in the completely illogical. Could no, you both, know, I think I think you're right. I, I do think you're right. You know, I, and it speaks to, I think the other thing it really speaks to, which sort of speaks to everyone's moment in, in Hollywood right now, um, which is the balance between uh, treating the folks who are part of your entertainment operation either exploitatively or collaboratively. Mm, and okay. so, and I can speak to that you know, I, I just going on overt one for one. I know many people who are in the adult uh, industry, and the my friends in that industry who their work that they think works the best, that is like sort of like received the best, that is is great, are is work where they are collaborating with the filmmakers to make something. And there's obviously all sort of taking an image and then selling it as exploitation in one way or another, but it's like a collaborative effort with everybody. Everyone's on board, everyone's on the same page, whatever. The stuff that is feels gross, that doesn't endure, that it doesn't last, that doesn't have a life or whatever, is stuff where it's like, you know, the people who are making the movie or whatever are like, we just need skin and bodies and you be that. And this is a movie about what happens when you say, we just need skin and bodies. We don't care about the humans that's behind them. Um, and yeah. you unleash uh, you unleash chaos. I think that's really interesting. I like that. <laughs> and that kind of like, when we, you know, for the fantasy casting, there's no fantasy casting I would do for this because I think that this is a trash fire and I wouldn't remake it. It would be mean. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not doing that to any actor. I'm like, Who- who would you who would you have as as interesting like Busey like cameos? Oh God! So first and foremost, one thing I would do if I were asked to remake it is I would have this either direct directed by either a woman or a yes. queer guy. Yes, I think that's first and foremost. Like either we're going full camp with the queerness aspect, or we're bringing in a woman and making it truly like the like woman made porn in that sense of, of yeah. you know, the female gaze or the, the, the male gaze reclaimed. Um, then if I'm going to do it that way, then you know who I'm bringing in? I'm bringing in Amy Schumer right. as the opening sequence, because no one else right. is going to be farted on by a dead cow, like Amy Schumer. <laughs> just end a story. I don't, e- I, I don't even particularly love her as an actor. I just think that there's no one better suited for that kind of role than Amy Schumer in this case. That's that's amazing. I think Thank that's you. thanks. That's, Do you, yeah. who would you who who's your cameo for that? Um, let's see. My cameo for that, I would love to see. Uh, I I I would love to see Bruce Valanche in this. I just mentioned <laughs> Bruce Valanche earlier. Bruce I would Valanche. love to see some Bruce Valanche. I was at a, I very rarely go out. Cause you know, like you you start you do things around here and you see people, obviously, and 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 um and if you know, you become desensitized to it very quickly. I imagine you are extremely desensitized to it because you're from it. But I was at a, a performance recently with 
uh, my co-host Sarah Marshall and our friend Woody Sticks, who's in the Steady Bad Luckers thing that I do. Um, and Bruce Valant was in the audience and I nearly lost my mind. I had to leave quickly so that I didn't accidentally engage him. Um, I, I was like, Bruce. Was that me. at your, your show that you had like a couple weeks ago? No, it was at our, our friend Sam Pancake, who's been on our show before and who is a... Um, who's an actor and a, and a funny person had a had a one-man show called um Sam Boyant <laughs> and obviously where else would you find Bruce Valanche than at a one-man show called Sam Boyant incredible I was just so, so I, have, I was so hoping you were gonna get a Bruce Valanche laugh at something you said I was like that's oh why god, I made that I, I was like oh my god if he had laughed he'd been at your show and laughed at something you said like what more could you ask for? we've had tremendous people show up and that have laughed and it's been great but if Bruce Valanche laughed I would be oof just done for yeah so i think bruce valanche for sure um i would love to see oh god it's it's hard now because all of the uh, you know this but like all of the people all of the like gary Buseys of our of, of my time yeah are all just influencers now like it's now just like you know you would put like mr beast in this or something like (laughs) all like there isn't a I'm trying to think of people who are like like Devin Sawa but like Devin Sawa is like a real guy still like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't I would hate to do this to him um Bruce Valanche I think has enough of a sense of humor about it uh yeah I I don't know I'm just gonna stick with Bruce I think Bruce is a great one I think Bruce sets that tone really well like yeah I, I I I think so I would love to see this maybe maybe fully recast um by sort of like a to b list drag uh drag performers oh my gosh like this happens at like a drag drag... festival what if all the piranhas were also drag performers (laughs) (laughs) like you just have sasha fierce's face on a piranha coming towards you i would love that so shakes out shakes out her wig and all of a sudden there's piranhas coming out i would like maybe the piranha are queer i'm trying to figure out where our where our queerness exists and since it's a and since it's a a sort of collective assault against patriarchal exploitation perhaps perhaps that's what's happening i like this i i I love the idea of (laughs) why not at at a queer at a a drag performance like i love a full-on drag fest yeah i truly i i hate to make this show about how much i fucking love this city and i do I do just straight up love this city is like the best thing about this city is like Mm -hmm. wherever you're from if you're not from LA wherever you're from for the most part you're one of maybe one or two uh queer horror fans that you know and this city is 10 (laughs) percent of that like this city is exclusively horror gays it's true. And I love it so much. <laughs> I think one thing that's unique about LA, and I, I mean, maybe it's true of every major city. I haven't lived in other major cities as an adult, but I feel like the thing about LA is that if you find one niche of pe- person, you can then unlock the entire DLC of those people. Mm-hmm. So yes. if you find one person who is into queer horror, you then suddenly have there's like you'll find an entire community because the city is big enough but For also sure. clustered enough that you can just yeah find an it's entire so group big that there are subcultures within yeah the subculture it's so big 
that there, you know, that there are people who have differences of ideology within mm-hmm. that community. Like that's again, like you grew up, I grew up in my high school was 400 people and that included the eighth grade. Like wow. that, so you're, you knew one other, um, you know, uh, limp-wristed Videodrome fan and that was it. That's all you got. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the, this is, and then of course, like everybody who is the one kid in their town comes here. So then you can just find all of them. You can amass all of the one town, the one person in the town, the weird kid, they've all gravitated out here. When I lived in Nashville, you would, um, you'd meet every day. Mm -hmm. You'd meet someone. And I know that this happens here for actors, but that's not my, I don't run, I'm not like running with. I don't have a crew of people that's like welcoming new actors. Right. <laughs> so, but like I, but because musician musicians were a focus when I was in Nashville, like you'd run into people daily who just got there that week, and you could kind of tell specifically by the look on their face how long they were going to last. Like <laughs> you could tell if they had just like a like like sweet and optimistic look you were like, all right, this person like might last a year. If they had like a deranged optimistic look, you were like, this person's either gonna make it or be gone next week. Like I, and this place is that for the horror quiz my love. That's amazing. Cause that is, <laughs> I mean, that is true though. And yes, the, the look on the face of like, oh, you haven't been destroyed by this city yet is also an accurate thing. Like, although here I find it's less like, oh, you're no longer look sweet and naive, but more, you no longer are daunted by traffic. Like, yes. you know, if someone can make it or not, if they, after a week are like, yeah, I can handle this. I can hang with traffic. If someone's yeah. like, God, I just can't, how could you get anywhere in the city? It's like, man, you're going to yeah. be gone. There's in other six cities months. for you, my friend. Move to I'm sorry. Or if you can't yeah. sit in traffic and sit with your thoughts for 90 minutes to an hour, wait, that's not how time works. 90 minutes is more than like an hour. That. But thank you. But yeah, minutes, you, an hour, who an knows? Hour, it does. Time is meaningless once you're in traffic. If you mm-hmm. can't sit in the traffic with your thoughts in isolation, then I'm sorry, you're you're not going to cut it in this town. Like, granted, we should have better mass mass transit, but nope, doesn't matter. Why invest in mass transit if it's eventually going to be undone by a uh, by a earthquake? You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like that's their rationale. It's like let's not invest in too much. We don't know where this is going to shake out. <laughs> Well, we can <laughs> listen. There's like at That's least my five, mayoral pitch. There's at least five to ten emergency management people who listen to the, who are listening to this podcast screaming right now about how we can do mass transit with with it in an earthquake zone. This yeah. is good to know. This is we good could. to know. We theoretically could. We just choose not to. It's I fine. It. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Alex. Yes. Five towering infernos. You can give partials. You can give quarter towering infernos if you want. How many towering infernos are you giving Piranha three double D? Two out of five. It's fair. I'll give it two. Um, it's it works. I'm not like angry that I've watched it now maybe twice in my life. I'm not upset about it. Um, there's a lot to there's a lot there. It doesn't necessarily add up to anything, but it is an experience and it's, um, it's not what I'm upset about. And there were some funny, accidentally funny moments. Um, if you are upset by un- the unchecked gaze and exploitation, this is not a movie for you. Um, but 
I don't, I don't know. I, I, I had a time. Yeah. This was, this was a 2.5 for me. It was, wow. this is a perfect double screen movie. Yeah. You can kind of check in and out of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a good, like, it's stupid. It's definitely, I, I, it is not as good as the first one, which is an insane thing to say about either of the Piranha movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as good as the original and uh, it, but it's not offensively bad. It's weirdly benign for a movie that has as many breasts as it has and has with as right. little other motivating factor beyond sex comedy or I think it's comedy. the most nude. I think it's the most nudity of women, including a penis. Shocking. Yeah. Um, that I have seen in a movie that was not pornographic. I think that's a fair assessment. Yes. Like, other than the main characters who don't have to show their breasts on camera. I don't think there's another woman in this movie who has clothes on. No, like, it's no, just, certainly not. No. Um, but also still weirdly like inoffensive, which is just <laughs> the, an accomplishment. I think. Right. Like right. somehow. Anyway, again, it's like, it's a, it's a, it was storyboarded by a seven year old who just thought the naked people were funny. Yeah. Who drew a lot of stick figures with giant honking boots. <laughs> like I can do, I, I can imagine what the, I imagine that I, I'm just going to, not that anybody can see this, but just for your amusement, Alex. You can, you can take a picture of this and put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. This is what I imagine every storyboard looked like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You you just, you all know what this looks like. This is a stick before. figure with, with hair drawn on moves. and then just completely asymmetrical. I just realized I gave her one, but it's much larger than the other. I like that she has the the it's like her pippy long stocking hair. Yeah, it's the, well, they all have to have the little, you know, when you draw a stick figure, it's gotta have the little flip in the hair. Yes. Otherwise, sure. how do you know that it's hair? <laughs> uh but <laughs> I guess that brings us to the end of Prana Three Double D. Which means, it Alice, I'm, I, I, I'm going to send you on your way. But before I do, where, what do you want to plug? Where can we find you? What do you, what do you do? How, where can we, where can we see you again? I have a podcast called You Are Good, which we call also a feelings podcast about movies. You have been on that show before, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'm sure you will be on that show again. We talk about movies. But we talk about everything around the movie and not necessarily just, we're not critics. We are people who talk about w- what feelings are evoked by it. And I think it's good. It's a great podcast. Well, it's, thank you. You're welcome. I only have people on the on this that I'm like, okay, I've listened to your podcast and it's, it's excellent and I enjoy it. Um, and yeah, you guys, it's I've it's been a great podcast since the early days when it had a different name and it's a great podcast now. It's, uh, it is a feelings movie podcast and I love that. It's thank just you so much you're welcome and so, thanks for having me back this was a, a, a great great bit of fun so thank you it was a pleasure alex all right if this is the part where you normally turn off the episode please listen through to the end just because i want to get the last bit of housekeeping done since this is the last episode um first of all i want to thank you guys i i know i did before briefly in that like say of the pod but thank you all for listening um thank you for those of you who would like play with me on Twitter, for all of you who've written five-star ratings and reviews, to anybody who's bought from the merch store, um, thank you all for your time and your energy and your support. Uh, this podcast, we started it four years ago. I never thought that it would get past five episodes, let alone that we would 
do like 150, that we would be around for four years, and that we'd have the incredible range of guests and listener base that we've had. So I just really can't thank you guys enough. Um, if you, oh, like I said before, um, I'm going to keep the podcast merch site up probably through the end of the year, maybe into January, just depending on like what's going on with orders and stuff. Um, if we're doing a volume, I'll keep it up. If people are not buying, then I will pull it down just because it's expensive to keep it open. Um, so you can see all that at disastergirls.myshopify.com. And, um, oh, the Academy Museum. If you live in LA, the Academy Museum starting in January is doing like a month of disaster movies uh, with all of the greatest hits. They've got Twister on 35 millimeter. Um, they've got Ashfall, which is like my one of my favorites. It's the South Korean disaster movie involving having to do a heist of a, a nuclear bomb in order to put it into a volcano. Um, so that one's really good. There's some classics. There's When Time Ran Out, which we didn't cover on this podcast, but is terrible. Um, it was Erwin Allen's last movie. So there's a lot of different ones, but most importantly, they are showing Volcano on January 6th at 730. Uh, that's a Saturday night. So you can actually see Volcano at the intersection where Volcano took place. I'm going to be there. I would love to do like a Disaster Girls meetup if anybody is interested. Um, I will probably be very weird and awkward because when I'm not behind a microphone or a computer, I'm very weird and awkward. Um, but if any of you guys are going to be there, let me know. Shoot me an email, uh, disastergirlspod at gmail.com. And uh, I mean, I'd love for it to be like a meetup. I think that would be really fun. So if there's interest, like if there's enough interest, I will try to organize something formally, but I would love to gauge it based off of emails from people. So let me know if that's something you're interested in. Tickets are $10. It's so worth it, you guys, to if any of these, like any of these movies. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, I guess, it. Um, you can find me. I'm on Blue Sky now. So I'm dis oh, sorry. I'm amandasmith.bsky.social. Um, I also have a bunch of, I have several um, codes if anybody wants to make the exodus over there. So just like send me an email and I'll give you a code. Uh, we are disaster underscore pod on Twitter and disastergirls.bsky.social. And of course, disastergirlspod at gmail.com. And then the website or the merch store is disastergirls.myshopify.com. And uh, it's been great, guys. Thank you all. I will see you all back for Twisters when that does come out. Um, and otherwise, I'll see you on the internet. Bye.